before I begin, I just want to give you something to think about um, with a question. Do you ever thank the Lord that you live now? When you're praying, you're to thank the Lord for so many things. Do you ever thank the Lord that for putting me here on this earth at this time? I'm afraid too many Christians lament the fact that they're here today. And uh, um, I'm thankful that the Lord has me here today. I hope that you're thankful yes. that the Lord brought you into this world in the year that He did and that He has you here for a reason and you will live out your life here till He takes you for a reason. It's not an accident. God put you here on purpose and you should be thankful for that. And one of the reasons that I bring that up is um, when we consider the book of Revelations, we should be thankful that we live during a time in which we have the entire Scriptures as we have it. Yes. Just keep that in mind. Stand with me please as we read. Let's begin in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The title of the message this morning is Our Revelation of Hope. The revelation of Jesus Christ who God gave unto Him to show His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he, this refers to what I was talking about a moment ago. As we're reading this, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written herein, or therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace unto you and your grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning. We are so thankful for your word. What a privilege it is to be able to read it, to be able to get some glimpses of you and your holiness and your power and who you are. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we preach. Pray that you would uh, be with me as I, I try to present your word. Pray that you would give hearts uh, a readiness to hear and a willingness to listen. And pray that you would grant repentance to those who are lost. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin our message this morning, this is a little bit a little bit different. I won't necessarily preach one particular part 
of this passage, I want to consider the entirety of the book of Revelation as we consider our revelation of hope. Who, I want to consider who this book was written to. Who was it written to? And for whom is this information? This passage tells us, and I will touch on that in a little bit, but I want to first consider who it was not written to. Now, as I get into that, the entirety of the Word of God has been a process of revelation. There is one sense in which Genesis is a revelation from God. Exodus is a revelation from God, and so forth. The entirety of the Word of God is a revelation. The title of this book, in your Bible, it probably says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The title comes from the first verse. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, comma which God gave unto him. And so this is specifically a revelation of Jesus Christ, but the entirety of the word of God is a revelation from God concerning himself and concerning us and our need of him and so forth. God did not have to give us the Bible. Right. It's a privilege. It's an honor that we have the word of God to be able to read. And in fact, there was no written word of God for approximately 2,600 years until Moses penned the first five books from Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's staggering to me to consider and think about. I'm just take it so for granted that I have the Word of God in my right. hands. Right. Noah didn't have the Word of God. Enoch didn't have the Word of God. Now God dealt with them and spoke to them in special ways that He no longer deals with us. But... Noah didn't have the book of Revelation so we could see and look at things like we did in Sunday school so we can see how things are going to be in the last days. He did not have all the details. God spoke to them. Even Job, who lived before Moses, Job knew of the resurrection. He believed, he professed with his mouth. I know that even though skin worms devour this body, Yet in my flesh, with my own eyes, I shall see God. He didn't have the Bible, but he believed that. It was revealed, things were passed down from generation to generation and so forth. But we have the word of God. Little by little, as 2 Peter 2 states, Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, and they only spoke in this case, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Only as men were moved by the Holy Ghost did God give us more and more and more. Note the beginning of Hosea 1, for example. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Do you notice those words? The word that came unto Hosea, in the days of. And so God gave us a little bit more of his word with this man and with another man. He would give us Daniel. He would give us a little bit more of his word and so forth. So the entirety of the word of God was a process. When you read of David, when he says, thy word have I hid in my heart, what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the book of John. He wasn't talking about the book of Isaiah. He was talking about the word of God as he had it at that time. And so It's all been a revelation. We're so privileged. We should 
really thank the Lord for what we have. God has revealed so much to us. And yet, He has only revealed to us what it is that we need to have. So we should, there's so much more about God. There is so, there's these times, so compare, Abraham didn't have any of the word of God. He had promises that God made to him. He had, oh, a relationship with God in a special way, but he didn't have revealed what we have revealed. And I can't help but wonder if this is all we have for knowledge of the word of God or of God. How much more is there to know of God? How much more are we going to get to know when we get to heaven and throughout eternity? Because God has just, as he's chosen, he's just revealed little by little, little bit by little bit, what he would for us to have. I find it interesting that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But have you ever stopped to think that when Paul wrote this, not all scripture was yet given? It wasn't all given. What he said, it's absolutely true. And what he wrote was written by inspiration of God. But the, the reality is, is that Paul never got to read all that we have. Do you understand that? Paul died before John ever was on the Isle of Patmos. Peter died before John was ever on the Isle of Patmos. I don't know that any of the apostles were still alive when John wrote the book of Revelation. John was the youngest of the apostles. He lived well into his, I think he was in his 90s when he wrote this book. And they had all been executed. They had all died already. So none of the apostles were able to even read the book of Revelation. They didn't need it. The things that are going on in the book of Revelation, what it talks about, the end times and so forth, oh, it didn't apply to them. And so um, God has revealed His Word to us, and it is here for us at this day. Obviously, as I've already touched on, the books of Revelation was not written to Old Testament saints. I asked, who was it written to? Well, it wasn't written to them. It wasn't for them. It's an interesting thing when you consider the conclusion of the book of Daniel. Daniel pins some of the things that parallel what is in Revelation. There's some things in Ezekiel that fit in a little bit with Revelation. There's some things in um, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Think, there are things, um, Joel, there are all these prophecies that they kind of mesh and they, and they complement what's in the book of Revelation, but it's interesting. You note the words of Daniel in chapter 12 and verse 4. He says, this scripture says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. We were referred, Brother Hogue was referring to this passage uh, this morning as far as how do we know how things are going to be in the end. It says, even to the time of the end, many, it continues in the sentence, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And I heard, but I understood not. This is Daniel speaking. Then said I, oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. It wasn't for Daniel to know. And so um, the Jews, here's what's so sad. The Jews have the prophecies of the Old Testament and they recognize it as the word of God. But they have completely, they completely reject 
what Jesus said during his, about His second coming. They completely reject anything in Matthew 24, 25. They reject all, anything that Jesus said. They don't believe it. It's not the Word of God. They reject what... Uh, there's no comforting words for the Jews in the passage that Pastor just read from uh, Thessalonians. That means nothing to them. They're not looking for His second coming. They're still looking for the first coming. They missed Him. They hate Jesus Christ. They have no use for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them will at some point in the future, but right now the Jews do not accept the New Testament and they hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's sad because the book of Revelation and Thessalonians and all these things point to their Messiah. Right. They point to His second coming. He already did the work. He already fulfilled the purpose of why He came. But they missed it. And it's so sad. But what a joy it is to be a child of God and have the book of Revelation in our hand. My worldview is different than the worldview of the Jews. I might look at what's going on in Israel today and I might be looking in Revelation and saying, boy, it's almost there. But they're still looking for their Messiah. So what Revelation has to say about the, the Antichrist, they're just gonna, they're gonna see it and they're gonna, oh, here he is. It's wonderful. I feel sorry for them, but they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and will pay the price for it. But we, as the people of God, we have the full, completed revelation of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all the Word of God, not just the Old Testament. That's right. And so, who was this revelation of Jesus Christ written to? Well, it says right here in our passage in verse 1. It's written to the people of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants the things that must shortly come to pass. While there is plenty the, lo the lost should concern themselves with, in this book of Revelation, I just find it interesting, the testimony that Pastor just read ties in the songs that we sang, the testimony that he gave, or that he gave, the scripture that he read, everything ties in together today. It's amazing. The lost should concern themselves with things found in the book of Revelation like the testimony we just heard. He read, he was fascinated, and this is how so many people are today. Even more and more, people are like, oh, they want to know. They read the Left Behind series and all that goofiness. And boy, they're just fascinated with what might happen in the last days. And, and uh, they'll be so interested in the fiction and, and what it has to say. And they want to know how things are going to be, but they're not so interested in the Great White Throne. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right? They want to know what's going to happen with these plagues and, you know, what's going to happen with the wars and what's going to happen with Israel and what about the Mark of the Beast? And all that. Well, what about the what about the judgment seat? Yeah. What about when the death and hell give up the dead which are in them, and they have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and He judges them? Yeah. Oh, we're not so interested anymore. So people love sensationalism in Jesus' day. People loved signs, but people are not so much in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. But this book is written to the servants. Of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's who it's addressed to. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father want us to know the things that must shortly come to pass. 
And he especially wants the people who are living in those last days to know the things that are shortly going to come to pass. Things are going to much more shortly come to pass today than they were in 800 AD. It really applies to us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit really convinces men of the fact in the days when we read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the world that we're living in and we can really recognize, yeah, we're there. And then notice it says, so this is who it's written to as his servants. And then it says, the things that must shortly come to pass, and it says in verse 3, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Do you want to be blessed of God? I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed of God. Well, you could start by reading the words of this book. Yes. How much time have you spent reading the book of Revelation? How much time have you spent reading Daniel? Do you like Ezekiel? Or is Revelation really just one of those books that's just so complicated that, you know, I, I really, when I read it, and it just none of it makes any sense. And so I just let this pastor spoon feed me whenever we get around to going through Revelation. And that's really all we know about Revelation because it's just too complicated. Well, you're missing out. Because it says, not blessed is he that heareth the preacher preach from the book of Revelation. It says, blessed is he that readeth. You have a responsibility to read the word of God. This revealed word of God from Genesis to the end of Revelation is yours to read it. Don't just read devotionals. Read things that somebody wrote. I love Spurgeon and I like devotionals. But too many people, their reading of the Word of God involves reading one verse from the Word of God and then reading a whole page about what somebody said about that one verse. Read the Word of God. And you will be blessed. Blessed is he that readeth. And then they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein for the time is at hand. It's all one sentence. For the time is at hand. How blessed indeed are we to have the word of God concerning the day in which we are living. We don't have to guess as to what's going to happen. Right. Imagine. I meant to have this in my notes, but just imagine that we were going through what we were going, what we were going through as the people of God and we didn't have the passage that Pastor read in Thessalonians. And we didn't have what we talked about in Sunday school in 2 Peter. And we didn't have the words of Jesus in Matthew. And we didn't have this entire book of Revelation. Would we be as hopeful? Would we be right. as filled with joy yes. at the day that we're living in? Right. No. The Lord wants us to be successful, happy, joyful servants in the day in which we live. We are to be people that recognize the day is at hand. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's almost time to meet the Lord in the air. And it's time to get busy because it's almost time to go. He wants us to be like that. And so he wrote this to his servants so they could be a certain way. I'm afraid... Well, let's, the next, he wrote it to another group of people. His servants, but then specifically the servants that are in his churches. Verse 4, 
John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then go down to verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it what thou seest. He doesn't say, and what I'm going to give you to say concerning the seven churches and how wrong they are and how they need to repent, write that in the book and send it to the churches. He says, this vision that you're going to see, everything that I say in the book of Revelation from chapter 1 until the end, that what you're going to see, write in a book and send it to the churches. And so he says, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and then specifically Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and unto Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. I'm afraid too many people think that John only wrote the first three chapters to those churches. But... In fact, what John saw from chapter 1 to the beginning was to the seven churches. And from those seven churches, it went to other churches, and it's, in, it's accepted as the inspired word of God. And it is in the church today. And so Jesus Christ has revealed to his church what must shortly come to pass, for the day is at hand. This message is for the servants of God who are in his church. Now, what are we to do with it? We have it. What are we to do with it? I already kind of got ahead of myself. and Well, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are there, written therein. For the time is at hand. Read it. I already touched on that. I won't go over it some more. Hear it. Hear it. When the Word of God is preached from this book, yes. hear it. Listen to it. Read it. Yes. Let the Spirit speak to you. When you hear it preached on, hear it, believe it, and then keep those things which are written in it. And when I saw this, keep those things which are written in it, I was like, how am I supposed to keep? And I saw the beast. <laughs> and, and I read about the mark of the beast. And I read about um, things that are happening in the book of Revelation. How do I keep that? You know, we understand when we read the law, keep the law. You know, we understand when we read some of these other things, keep those things. And so I thought, man, I, I got to look this up. I, you know, sometimes when we're studying for a message and we read a word and we, we think we know what it is and how it's usually used, I thought, there's got to be something to this keep the words of this book. Because how can I keep the words of some of the stuff that I just mentioned and what goes on in heaven and so forth? And so... This keep here is from the Greek word terio, which means to guard properly by keeping the eye upon. So it's different than keeping the law. It's keep the words of this book. It means read this book, hear what's written in this book, and then be on guard for what's about to come to pass in this book. It's for the people of God. To hear it, to read it, and to keep your eye out for the things that are written in this book. And then, I want to get to the, that was the introduction, I want to get to the revelation of hope, or the hope of revelation. The real hope of the book of Revelation. Too many people are distracted by some of the events that are taking place in this book. And that's not the subject of the book. <clears throat> the things that are going to take place in this book are 
caused by God, allowed by God. God is in complete sovereign control of everything that's going to happen in this book. It's still God at work. But what I want to focus on specifically concerning the hope of revelation is concerning the Lamb of God. Because there's an interesting thing concerning the Lamb of God as he's depicted, which of course is the Lord Jesus Christ as he's depicted in the book of Revelation. He's only mentioned, referred to as the Lamb of God two other times, and they're both in, in the book of John. During, before, when John was preaching, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then he saw Jesus walking, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And it's not until you come to Revelation that 36 times the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Lamb in one form or another. He is the Lamb of God who He came, He fulfilled His work. In heaven He is honored and glorified. He is identified as the Lamb of God because He gave Himself as a, willingly as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. He ascended, he went to the grave, he ascended, he is now alive and well on the throne, but it refers to the work that he did on our behalf. And over and over and over, he is referred to as the lamb in the book of Revelation. It's an amazing thing. I want to look at the different aspects in which he is revealed in the book of Revelation as the lamb. The first one, just like when you're preaching the gospel, the gospel only makes sense if you reveal the bad news first. The bad news that we are condemned sinners. Then the sacrifice and the work of Jesus Christ is a lot more meaningful. It makes a lot more sense when we recognize our need. Without a need, then what's the point? And when it comes to the Lamb of God, there is an aspect to the Lamb of God that the lost world needs to recognize. And they will recognize one day whether they do right now or not. And so I want to begin in Revelation chapter 6 if you turn there. The Lord Jesus Christ is revealed as... And remember, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ Himself gave this to John. And so Jesus Christ is referring to Himself as the Lamb in all these passages. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain... Notice, notice what happened here. Oh, when it talks about the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And then notice this statement. This is lost people saying this. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? 
The heavens were rolled back. How did they know that this is the Lamb of God? I believe they get a glimpse of the Lamb of God sitting on His throne. They say the heavens are peeled back. There's a great earthquake. Every island flees away. And the kings of the earth and great men. Think of that. All the kings of the earth as we have them today. All the great men. All the rich men. It doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos or um, Bill Gates or you go on down the line. All All the money in the world doesn't matter in this day. And it doesn't matter if you're Donald Trump or Benjamin Netanyahu. It doesn't matter. They're all going to be saying the same thing. Who shall hide us? Who shall save us from the wrath of the Lamb? And by the way, it's too late for them because by this point, they will all have already received the mark of the beast. And it's just a day of judgment. When God comes in this situation, it is a day of judgment. There's not going to be any atheists or agnostics in this day. That's right. They will have gotten a glimpse into heaven and seeing the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And they are going to be fearful and they are going to say, who can hide from the wrath of the Lamb? And they're going to seek to hide themselves in every nook and cranny. Revelation 14 now. Turn over to Revelation 14 and verse 9. It says in Revelation 14 and verse 9, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, this is what I was just referring to, if any man worship the beast and his image, and he receives the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And and basically, whosoever receives the mark... He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So we see that although the book of Revelation is written to Jesus' servants, there are words of warning here. Plenty of words of warning to the lost. There will not be an excuse for anybody signing up for the mark of the beast. The the, the warning has been here. The lamb in Revelation is also a lamb of victory in war. I'll just read this passage. Revelation 17 says, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. And this is speaking of Jesus Christ. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him. I love this. This passage is written to us. They that are with Him are called called and chosen and faithful. I like that doctrine. I like those teachings. I have no problem with being considered to be one of the chosen of God. I have no problem being considered to be one of the called of God. And I hope that it can be said of us that we are faithful. But isn't that a wonderful thing to consider the Lamb as victorious? He will overcome all these nations and all these kings. And it's almost it's simple. Because He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Yes. This is nothing for Him. 
the lamb is going to stand. Uh, we can't go through all 36 times the lamb is mentioned, but I'm going to point a few things out. The lamb will stand on Mount Zion in Revelation 14. It's going to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand on Mount Zion. He's referred to as, refers to himself, I should say, as he's the Lamb of Salvation. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 8. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. What a blessing this is. This is speaking of all the saved in heaven. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. There is a, there's a certain aspect in which there's a real joy in this. When you read in Matthew, and we see the Great Commission, and people are skeptical of the Gospel message a lot of times, because what about people over here in this part of the world that haven't heard the Gospel? The reality is, is by the time God is done with things, people will have been saved, literally, from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue on the face of the earth. And the great commission given to the church was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when we read about who's in heaven, who's in heaven is people from a multitude beyond number, from people of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. He's a lamb of salvation. And he has saved people from literally every last little corner of the planet. A work that is complete. He's known as the lamb of comfort. Revelation chapter 7, right, just write down from that in verse 13. And one of the elders answered saying unto me, Who are these? What are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. So this is just one of those things where when you consider what's in the book of Revelation, the thing that shines the brightest is every time the Lamb is spoken of. We see another aspect of who He is and what He has done for us and what He will do for us. And here we have the Lamb in heaven. And there's all these people who have suffered great tribulation. Who are all these people? These are those which came out of great tribulation. And there's the Lamb in the midst of the throne he shall feed them, he shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave this to us, and it says in Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. 
he wanted us to know these exact details. Like I mentioned, Paul wasn't ever able to read these words. But we can. And there's words of comfort and joy in knowing that no matter, these are people who, it's specific, it says that, notice the kind. These saints have gone through extreme starvation and exposure to the elements. It says, right here, oh, they shall hunger no more. That means that they hungered. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. These are ones that have come through great tribulation. They've experienced hunger and most likely starvation, exposure to the elements. They experience great heat and misery and all these things, but there's comfort in these things. They came through great tribulation. I don't know exactly what the details are. I don't know if this is referring to those, some of those who have come for refusing the mark of the beast because I know one thing that's going to happen is those who refuse the mark of the beast are going to experience it because there's going to be people in tribulation who refuse the mark of the beast. And those who refuse the mark of the beast are going to experience severe economic difficulty. I believe they're going to experience going without food and water to the point to where they pass away, many of them. And so I don't know if it's referring specifically to this, but I know that this passage specifically points out comfort that they're not going to hunger and they're not going to thirst anymore. Consider suffering here. It only takes, in severe heat and bad elements, it only takes one to three days to pass away from lack of water. In those kind of situations, even if you have water, you're not going to last very long without food. So my point is the sufferings of men on this earth are so short for the cause of Christ Mm. compared to being able to sit at the feet of Jesus in heaven for eternity. And he's going to make sure that you are never hungry. Mm. You are never going to thirst again. And he was going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. There's not going to be any more sorrow. And so these are words that we need to have. The people of God have needed it in history. And I believe the people of God are going to really need these words in the future. That listen, this is horrible, but God is going to be so good. It's only a matter of time till we're with the Lamb. And you can hold this right here in your hands going through whatever difficulties come in your way. Knowing He's coming back. It's only a matter of time. Hang in there. I don't care if it's hang in there till you know we live to see it. Just hang in there until you're with him. Whether he comes or you die. But listen, this is how it's going to be. He's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. There is suffering that is going on in this world right now. And they have no hope. No hope. I was just reading this morning on the latest news they are talking about in Gaza how horrible the situation is in Gaza right now because of all the bombing and this and that, the rockets and stuff. And it's, it's horrible on both sides, but it's extremely horrible in Gaza right now. So much so that the parents are taking uh, markers and writing the names of their children on their legs and arms, and parents are writing their names on their arms and because... And they're finding bodies that are showing up in the morgue in Gaza and children and stuff. And they are able to identify them because ahead of time, parents wrote the name of their kids on their legs 
because there's a good chance they're going to die, and this, so they know where, who, and what, and that the, their kid is actually dead and not still alive. There are people in this world that are suffering horribly, and they have no hope. But for the people of God, our turn is coming possibly, but when our turn comes, and there are going to be people in the tribulation who are having to suffer intense suffering because they're not part of the system, they have hope. They have yes. hope because yes. it's, it's only a matter of time. Listen, my name's not written on the side of my leg. My name's written in the Lamb's Book oh, of Life. Man. And so it doesn't matter what happens to this body because it's only a matter of time until I'm with the Lord. Amen. It's better to suffer a short time for God than to have it well and be with all those who are rich in the tribulation and die and go to hell and face the wrath of the Lamb. It doesn't even closely compare. What are you waiting for to turn to Christ? And so Revelation 21 says this, speaking of comfort, Revelation 21, 3, go ahead and turn there. I'm about to wrap up here. So Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And then this part. I mean, what a, what a concept that God, notice how it says, God's not going to have a proxy right. representing us, representing himself. It says, God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God Himself is going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. That means that they have gone through suffering. But there's not going to be any more. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. We don't know anything about suffering in our day as Christians no. in America. We don't know anything no. about it. But I'm telling you, the Waldenses back in the Dark Ages knew something about some suffering. People in Spain during those horrible days of the Spanish Inquisition when they would tear, literally tear their bodies apart. They knew something about some suffering. And the apostles knew something about some suffering. And in Rome, when they were taking Christians and putting them on stakes and dipping them in pitch and burning them, they knew something about some suffering. And the saints of God who are yet to be saved, they're going to know something about some suffering. But there's coming a time when there's not going to be any more suffering. The former things are passed away. And it's because God will be with us. And when you read this, do you put, it says God Himself will be with them and be their God. But do you ever put yourself there so that it's personal? And what if I read it like this? Behold, the tabernacle of God is with us. And He's going to dwell with us and we shall be His people and God Himself shall be with us and shall be my God. 
That's a little different, isn't it? It's not so abstract. In Revelation, we don't have time to go to the passages, but the Lamb is worthy to receive all our praise. And there's plenty in the book of Revelation concerning the praise of the Lamb. Jesus Christ, when He gave this revelation, which says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which shortly must come to pass. He wanted us as His servants to know that He's worthy of praise. And in heaven, Jesus Himself wanted me to know that I'm going to be praising Him in heaven. In those situations, in those passages where it says that the crowd, the multitude, is without number. And they're bowing down. And the, and, the, and the singing is so loud, it's like thunder. Jesus wants us to know that we are going to praise Him like that. Amen. Not like we do in a Baptist church with our head in our hymnal and mumbling around. But we're going to be actually praising and worshiping Him. There might even be a couple hands go up. It's a whole lot different up there. And Jesus wants us to know what worship in heaven is like. Probably because He'd like for us to do it down here a little bit. We are failures on so many levels. But He wants us to know how it should be. And really wants us to know how it's going to be. You see, the book of Revelation. I'm so glad that I was born in a time when I get to read ahead of time. More than Paul did. More than Peter did. I get a heads up. I get to read about this stuff and know how it's going to be. Do you believe that it's going to be like this for you? Or is it an abstract idea for somebody else? But he's worthy and he will receive praise. And then the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is the glory. And I didn't say are, I said is because it's the same God. <laughs> The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is the glory of heaven. In Revelation 21 it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them that are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no more night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. And see, this is written for us, for the people of God. And it's a blessing for me to know I'm included in here because I was born a wretched sinner, depraved. I was an abomination to God, but I get to be there because... I have His righteousness Amen. applied to me, right? Yeah. So I get to be there. But I used to be an abomination. And when it says, I get to be there, but it says, no wise shall enter in anything that defileth, nor worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, yes. that's how I get to be there. It's because my name is written there. Because in reality, I'm no different than any of the other sinners. Amen. 
but the lamb died for me. So I get to be there. And you can be there too if you just trust in Him. There's no reason for you not to be there. Going back a few verses, I'm going to just close right here as my conclusion. <clears throat> I think there's enough that I've gone over that we can rejoice in. and I would encourage you to, as the people of God, to actually read this book and hear it. There's a lot there, and you might not understand all of it, but keep reading it. It'll make sense more and more. Don't give up and be so weak. <clears throat> Just rejoice in what you do understand. Yes. But in closing, going back a few verses there in Revelation, go to Revelation 21.7. <clears throat> I want to point out who's not going to be in heaven. It says... He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Notice that's, that's personal on a one-on-one -on -one basis. right? I was talking about how there's great multitudes in heaven, and God will be among them, and we made that personal. But here it's, it's making it personal. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. God's so big... That He can be your God. Yes. And He can be my God. Amen. And there's going to be over, there's going to be billions of people in heaven. And He's going to be a personal God to everyone who's there. We can't Amen. even comprehend. Amen. It's not like we're just going to be part of the masses. But we have a personal relationship yes. with Jesus Christ yes. now. He's big enough to have a personal relationship with us now. He's still going to be having Amen. a personal relationship with us in heaven. Amen. That blows my mind. That I get to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he says Jesus wants us to know that. That's why he said it. He wrote this to his servants. He wrote it to his church. And so he didn't write this to the nation of Israel. He wrote this to his church. And he says that, uh, oh, here, uh, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, there's a big but, I have it in all caps here in my notes. The fearful and unbelieving, are you fearful today? Are you fearful of? This life and how empty it is? Are you fearful of eternity? It says the fearful, are you fearful of God and His wrath? The fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Well, lies, lies, not that big a deal. Well, all liars are going to have their part in the lake which burneth with brimstone and fire, which is the second death. Forget about all the other types of sinners listed there for a minute. Well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a whoremonger. I'm not a witch. I'm not a witch. I'm not a sorcerer. 
Are you unbelieving? Because the unbelieving. It's that simple. Why are you in hell? Well, I didn't believe. It says the unbelieving have no part in heaven. It's quite a contrast because it talks about how wonderful it's going to be in heaven. And it says, but the fearful and unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire. It's an interesting thing that what a contrast it is to consider that when you trust in Lord Jesus Christ, you become joint heirs with Christ. Amen. It says we're priests and kings and we shall reign with him. And you think of all the things I can't even begin to understand who I am in Christ. Yeah. I have my part. I have my part in heaven. I I have I, I'm an in, I've inherited that. It's been given to me. I have a part. And the unbelieving have a part. You have your part, your inheritance is a lake of fire. I can be a joint heir with Christ, or I can have my part in the lake of fire. Some people are so stupid as to say, I'd rather be in hell with my friends than be in heaven. Yeah. It's like, listen, man, uh, you're not ever going to see any of your friends. You're not going to see your wife. You're not going to see your girlfriend. You're not going to see anybody that you've ever cared about in your life. Because hell is a place of outer darkness. Yep. It says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no homies there. It's loneliness. There's no companionship. Right. And that's the part of the unbelieving. This has clearly been revealed from the word of God. And Jesus Christ wants us to know that. I heard a preacher preaching this last week. Uh, Brother Justin White was preaching uh, on a message he, he did recently. And he was pointing out that God is good. It's from the Old Testament, I think, in Chron the dedication of the temple. It talks about when the people were praising, they were praising how good God is. And he's talking about God is a good God. And God is a God of love. And God is so much a God of love that He has given you a warning. He has given you a heads up. He has said, if you do not repent, this is what is going yes. to happen to you. He didn't have to give you this book. He didn't have to give you a preacher today. He could have killed you last week, but He loves you and He calls on you to repent and turn to Him. Whosoever will may come. Just take up the offer freely. Receive eternal life. 